This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Mark chapter 1. I made reference to this, I think, last uh, Sunday morning when we were together about some things that the Jews were, that Jesus' disciples were astonished at. Now, there are two words that are, that are used, two primary Greek words that are used in the New Testament for astonished and amazed. One of those words, and, and they're pretty much interchangeable. One of the words uh, means to be stunned. The other word means to stupefy. So as near as I can tell, the only difference in these two words is how dumb the look is on our face when it happens. I mean, that's, that's basically, I mean, what's the difference in being stunned and stupefied, you know? And, uh, and so this, uh, uh, this became an interesting thing. I want you to see what stunned the Jews, what they were astonished or amazed by. Let's start reading in verse, uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. It says, And they went out of Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished. This word astonished, or the root word of the, uh, of the word astonished, is also the word that, uh, that is associated with wonders in the New Testament. Signs and wonders. Or they wondered with amazement. Uh, and, and words like that. Translations like that. So you get the idea. And they were astonished at his doctrine. Now doctrine means teaching. They were astonished at his doctrine. Please notice that. They weren't astonished at him. They were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Now, folks, if he was teaching that only he had authority, then they would have been astonished at him. But they weren't astonished at him. They were astonished at his doctrine. They were stunned by his doctrine. Why? Because he's teaching that man has authority. He's teaching that man has authority, not that he has authority. He's teaching that man has authority. Otherwise, they would have been astonished at him. But they weren't. They were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, O Jesus, son of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him and said, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him, and they were all amazed. Same word. They were all amazed or astonished. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? Folks, Jesus is not doing this to prove that he's the Son of God, in other words. He's doing this because it's in line with the doctrine that he's teaching that man has authority. How do we know that? Well, you remember in John's gospel, toward the end of Jesus' ministry, it says that John comes to uh, um, uh, to Jesus. Was it John? One of the guys. One of the disciples came to Jesus and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we told him, don't do it. Jesus said, why did why'd you tell him that? Anybody that's not against us is for us. Well, if, this, if Jesus' doctrine is that he has authority, then why is somebody that's not even one of the twelve casting out devils? How's anybody else able to do that? If Jesus has special power that nobody else has, how's this guy doing it? Jesus did not answer the disciples and say, oh, he wasn't really doing that. Nobody can do that except me. No, he said, why would you tell him not to? He's working for us, man. He's on our side. Here's religion. You're not one of us. 
You can't do that. So I want you to understand that the doctrine is that Jesus, that Jesus is teaching is that man has authority over the devil. Not that he individually has authority over the devil. So they, they were all amazed. Astonished, in other words. And they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread, about, spread abroad throughout all the region round about into Galilee. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Now, now, it makes sense that they were astonished at a doctrine, a new teaching that would exercise authority over the devil. That would leave you with the mouth hanging open, wouldn't it? I mean, if you'd never heard anything like that, and, and we have the opportunity and, and the, the experience of knowing certain things in the Bible, they didn't know them. This is a first for them. They're hearing Jesus teach that man has authority, and then an unclean spirit cries out, and Jesus casts the devil out of them. They go, wow. Makes sense. We would be astonished at that too, wouldn't we? Okay, Mark chapter 5. Here's the story of the woman with issue of blood. The backstory to that is Jairus comes and his daughter's at the point of death, and Jesus says, okay, I'll come to your house and, and minister to her. woman with issue of blood comes in behind Jesus in the, in the crowd. The healing power of God goes out of him and into her because of her faith. He stops, talks to her about it. Word comes from Jairus' house saying, your daughter's dead. Okay? Let's pick up the story. In verse 35, it says, While he yet spake to the woman with his shoe of blood, while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead, why troublest thou the master any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now, folks, get the picture. Jesus turns instantly and says, Don't be afraid, just believe. Why? He's got to keep him from saying anything else. What he said has been his faith in operation. His faith has been released. Come to my house. And my daughter will live and she won't die. Well, the won't die part's too late. But the live part's still in effect. Jesus has to stop him. He turns and says, don't be afraid, only believe. He doesn't say, okay, now this, you were believing for healing before. Now we need miracle faith. No, faith's faith. He said, don't be afraid, just believing. Just believe. In other words, just keep believing. Nothing's changed as far as God's concerned. So many things change in our estimation because of circumstance. Nothing changes with God no matter what the circumstance is. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, the doctor said this. Yeah? Okay. I'm sorry you said that. I'm sorry you had to hear that. But how does that change what God is? How does that change what God has said? How does that change what Jesus has done? Folks, please understand, this is how we have to renew our mind to the Word. This is how we have to change our thoughts to think like God. Jesus knows nothing changes. Jairus doesn't know that. So he suffered him, no man to follow him, save or except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he came to the, ruler, the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come to, come in, he said unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but asleeps. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered in where the damsel was lying, into the bedroom, in other words. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. Now, I can understand this one. I don't have a problem with this one. How about you? I can understand their mouths hanging open over this one. 
Somebody just raised, Jesus just raised this girl from the dead. I'd be astonished too. Turn with me over to chapter 6. Or look with me to chapter 6. Verse 1, and he went out from there and came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, from whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Now, folks, this is not the same situation in Mark chapter 1. Now they're astonished again. What are they astonished at? They're astonished at the wisdom of his words and the works that they've heard that he's done. Now, Luke chapter 4 tells us that this is his own hometown of Nazareth, which means there's nothing about this guy from his upbringing that caused them to think that he would be who he is now. Folks, Jesus didn't walk around as a kid with a halo around his head. I'm sure he was a good guy. I'm sure he was was well spoken of. He he certainly never sinned. But people outside of his family wouldn't have known that. They might have known that they couldn't talk him into doing the other stuff that they did, but who else is going to know? So they were astonished. They were astonished at his words, the wisdom of his words, and they were astonished at the works that they'd heard of him. Okay? I can understand that one too. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with them being astonished at Jesus casting out devils, teaching that man has authority. I don't have a problem with them being astonished at uh, raising the dead. Pretty easy for me to understand. Don't you agree? Look at chapter 7. We'll start reading in verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. Decapolis means ten cities, ten Roman cities. Jesus did very little in the ten Roman cities in the region of Decapolis. Very little. Because it wasn't considered part of Judea. And they brought unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they besought him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears, and he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man, but the more he charged them, so much the more that a great deal they published it. And they were beyond measure astonished. Please notice that phrase. They were beyond measure astonished. Saying, he that has done all things well, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, start reading in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asked, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus called and answered unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. Folks, I would submit to you that he's obeying the law of the Lord, the law of Moses. He's obeying what God said to do. That's why he's rich. He's a rich young ruler. This is why he's rich. He's kept the commandments. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Please notice Jesus loved him while he was rich. Well, how's that possible? How could God love anybody that's rich? Because God promised to make you rich. 
It'd be hypocritical for him to say, and once you get rich, I won't love you anymore. That's stupid. And that's how religion operates, in stupidity. So it says, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing you lack. I can never read this without making this statement. If Jesus speaks to you and says there's only one thing that you need to fix, you are in good shape. And that's what he told him. One thing you lack. There's only one thing you don't have. There's only one thing you don't have. One thing you don't have. Now, please notice he didn't say, uh, the problem is there's one thing you do have that you're not supposed to have, and that's money. He said there's something missing. So his riches has nothing to do with anything. He's saying there's something missing, right? That's what lack means, isn't it? He said, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever you have, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. So what's the one thing that he lacks? What's the one thing that's missing? Treasure in heaven. And folks, please notice that money has nothing to do with treasure in heaven. Well, let me qualify that. You can have money and still have treasure in heaven. Money does have something to do with treasure in heaven, but you can have both. It's not an either or. So he says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I would submit to you that the possessions had him. Now, what does this tell us? It tells us you get treasure in heaven by giving. And that giving is just as important as having possessions, goods. Well, doesn't that line up with what the Old Testament said? I mean, God appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, go where I tell you to go, do what I tell you to do, and number one, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. That means you'll have enough for yourself and you'll be able to give to others. That's the real blessing in life, folks, is having enough to give. That's where sufficiency really comes in. I mean, how many pairs of shoes can you wear at once? How many suits of clothes do we need? And women are starting to roll their eyes and trying to get their husband to say, he doesn't mean that literally now. <laughs> you get my point, don't I mean, how much do you need? I don't care how much it is. I, I'm really not saying you only need one of everything. That's not what I'm saying, folks. I'm not saying you need to act, live like you're a pauper. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, whatever it is that takes you to have enough, get there and then give to somebody else. I don't care if it's 20 shoes, pairs of shoes. I, I, don't, I don't care. 50, I don't care. Whatever. You know, that's between you and God. I don't care what it is. But get there so that you can then give and help somebody else. I don't need 20 suits. I need about four that keep fitting me. (laughs) That's become a lot harder than it used to be. So whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. Let's don't get into the discussion about how much should somebody have. I don't care how much you have. God doesn't care how much you have. As long as your heart's in the right place, he doesn't care how much you have. He doesn't care. Jesus didn't say, now how rich are you? Jesus is not put off by the guy being rich. It's part of the blessing of Abraham. What his concern is, is you've just focused on yourself and not on other people. You've enjoyed a good life. You're you're enjoying a good life now. 
You want to enjoy a real good life? Give to other people and come follow me. He's offering to make him a disciple. Same thing he said to Peter. Same thing he said to John and to James. Come follow me. He's offering to make him one of his group. If he'd taken him up on it, he might have been one that was there at the transfiguration. He would have been one of those at the Last Supper. There's no amount of money that could have bought that. That's what Jesus is talking to him about. But the guy turns it down. He says, I, I, I can't do that. I, I'm too attached to my stuff. So he went away grieved. And Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples patted themselves on the back and said, Yep, yeah, they're supposed to be like us. So what it says. And the disciples were astonished at his words. Now, folks, remember, these are the same people that were astonished when Jesus cast the devil out of people, when Jesus taught that man had authority, when Jesus raised the dead, when Jesus uh, um, healed the deaf and the dumb. All those other things, we understand them being astonished at, right? What about this one? I would submit to you that the only thing you're astonished about in any area of life is that which you don't think works like that. First time somebody might come from a a deserted island, never been in civilization before. They walk into a room with us and we turn on the lights and the lights come on, they would be astonished. But then we explain to them, yeah, there's electricity in the room, and when you turn this light switch, the light comes on. They're not going to be astonished after they figure it out. Right? The only things that the people in Jesus' day, just like the people in our day, are astonished about is when they see something, when they experience something, that they don't think this is how it works. Or that operates differently than what they assume might be possible. That's the only thing that's going to stun or stupefy anybody. Now, is that right or not? So when the disciples are astonished at Jesus saying, how hardly shall those that are rich enter into the kingdom of heaven, that means this is not in line with the way they think it works. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. It is much more of a school than any other healing service I've been to. Pastor Mike goes through the specific scriptures in the Bible that point to the healing power of God. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So Jesus qualifies it. He explains. He says, Jesus answered again and said, Children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches. In other words, he's saying the problem with the rich young ruler was not that he had stuff. You, you understand that. They thought that's what he was saying. That's why they were astonished. Whoa! But God said Abraham would be rich, and he was. And the law of Moses said if we obey, then God will multiply all of our stuff. And Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's hard for those that trust in their riches. In other words, there's a difference in having and them having you. It's a difference in having stuff and the stuff having you. There's a difference in what you have and what you trust in. Meaning you can have and still trust in the right things. And that was the warning of the Old Testament. When you have stuff, make sure you don't start trusting in it. That was the warning of the Old Testament. Right? So Jesus said, children, how hard it is for them that trust in their riches to enter into the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were astonished at his words. Huh? They're still stupefied. Now, this is a stupid group anyway, so they're not going very far, but still, they're stupefied at his words. They're astonished at his words. And said, notice what they said, they're astonished at his words. And they said among themselves, who then can be saved? Now, what does it tell us? It tells us that their thinking was in line with material possessions. And they understood that that was God's way of thinking. So now Jesus is saying, if you trust in your riches, you can't be saved or enter into the kingdom of heaven. They're thinking, wait, 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 wait. What does that tell us? That tells us the Jews were taught not only that material possessions would be theirs, but that they could put their trust in them. And that's where Jesus has to change the thinking. Here's what the Lord spoke to me about uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said, teach the people to renew their mind to wealth. Now, folks, I would submit to you that the reason the disciples were astonished in Mark chapter 10, the story with the rich young ruler is concerned, is that their minds were renewed to wealth. That's why they were astonished out of measure, saying, well, if rich people can't be saved, who can? Because rich people are the ones that God promised to make his people rich. And if salvation is not for the people that God made rich, who's it for? Now, I want you to look back with me to Proverbs chapter 21. I'll close with this one. Proverbs 21, verse 5. It says the thoughts, well, if you're going to renew your mind to something, it means you're going to think right, right? So it's going to have to do with your thoughts. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to lead to plenteousness, but those that are hasty only to want. In other words, there's a certain group of people that think of always having enough, and there's another group of people that only think of what they don't have. I would submit to you that the things that are going on in our present-day world, where people are attacking the rich, are thinking only about what they don't have. When people are crying, the rich need to pay more so that the poor has more, the only poor they're concerned about is them. That's pretty evident by when you see some of these politicians' tax returns come out, and they want the rich to pay more, but they're not giving anything to the poor themselves. Folks, don't be stupid about these things. But notice what it says, the thoughts of the diligent. Take part, the first part of verse 5. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. Plenteousness, you can define that in any number of ways. It means sufficiency, which in my opinion is what prosperity is all about. It's about sufficiency. It's not about a dollar amount. I can show you some people that have fewer dollars but are a lot richer in their lives because they've got the a knowledge of God's word in their heart than some other people that have a lot more money. So notice it says, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenishness. This word diligent is really interesting because it's translated gold in other places in the Old Testament. It's talking about people, but it's saying that diligence is in God's eyes like gold. Now, what does the Bible tell us to be diligent in? Well, it tells us first and foremost to be diligent in his word. 
We just started off in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28. If thou shalt hearken diligently into the voice of the Lord thy God. The thing you need to be more diligent about than any other thing is the voice of God. Which is specifically the Bible, the scripture, but then secondarily is the witness of the Holy Ghost on the inside of you. So that you can be led by the Spirit. That's something you need to be diligent in. That's something that will make you rich. But I want you to notice something else, and that is thoughts of plenty or abundance. Whatever word you want to use, I think they all fit. Wealth, abundance, plenty. They all mean the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Because I'm not looking for a dollar amount. A dollar amount is not going to make somebody happy. I'm talking about something that God blesses and brings into your life. Plenty, sufficiency. Notice that thinking abundance has more to do with character than it has to do with circumstance. Notice it does not say those that have money think about money. But those that don't have money are thinking about how to get it. It doesn't say that. It talks about character as being the source for thinking abundance. In other words, thinking abundance comes from the inside of a person. It comes from who they are, not what their circumstance is. Not what their job pays, not what their opportunities are, not what their ethnic background is, or whether they were born in the right part of town. All the things that the world tries to divide people by, male, female, race, class, none of the stuff that the world uses to judge has any bearing on somebody thinking abundance. Nothing. Now, folks, when the Bible talks about rich, it means something totally different than what the world talks about being rich. I'm talking about the Bible definition of rich or wealthy or abundant or sufficiency, whatever word you want to use. I I, I really, I don't care about words in that context. And it says that it's a product of character, not circumstance. Folks, I want you to understand, if you never think differently than what you're thinking, you'll never have anything more than what you have. You've got to change your thinking about certain things, and I'm talking about where finances are concerned in this this series. If you don't change your thinking about finances, then how in the world is God ever going to bring what he says in his word is yours? What, are we going to be astonished? We're going to go from astonishment to astonishment? God doesn't want you to be astonished. He wants you to see what the Word says. If you're going to be astonished at anything, be astonished at what you find out in the Bible. And then believe Him to bring it to pass and let it happen. Say, well, wow, look at there. It happened just like the Bible says. But you can't go through life expecting things to happen if you're going to be astonished when they do. That's not faith. Faith is expectancy. Astonishment is, wow, we never expected that. Big difference. Big difference. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to lead to plenteousness. God wants you to think wealth. The modern day church thinks much differently about finances than what the Bible reveals to us about God's thoughts on the subject. Therefore, I want to challenge you to dare to believe God's word to be true in your life concerning finances. He wants you to be abundantly supplied. He just wants to make sure that our hearts are always fixed on Him. Thanks for watching today, and come visit us at Foothill Family Church.
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. My coworker, Elaine, um, she would talk to me about the Foothill Church. Oh, she learned this, she learned that. And I just felt like, why don't I know this stuff? And I finally decided to start coming here. And the more I came, the more I got attached. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.